Transition from Day and Night Stories by Algernon Blackwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dale Grothman. Transition by Algernon Blackwood. John Mudbury was on his way home from the shops, his arms full of Christmas presents. It was after six o'clock, and the streets were very crowded. He was an ordinary man, lived in an ordinary suburban flat, with an ordinary wife and four ordinary children. He did not think of them as ordinary, but everybody else did. He had ordinary presents for each one, a cheap blotter for his wife, a cheap air-gun for his eldest boy, and so forth. He was over fifty, bald, in an office, decent in mind and habits, of uncertain opinions, uncertain politics, and uncertain religion. Yet he considered himself a decided, positive gentleman, quite unaware that the morning newspaper determined his opinions for the day. He just lived, from day to day. Physically he was fit enough, except for a weak heart, which never troubled him, and his summer holiday was bad golf, while the children bathed, and his wife read Garvas on the sands. Like the majority of men, he dreamed idly of the past, muddled away the present, and guessed vaguely, after the imaginative reading on occasions, at the future. I'd like to survive all right, he said, provided it's better than this, surveying his wife and children, and thinking of his daily toil. Otherwise, and he shrugged his shoulders, as a brave man should, he went to church regularly, but nothing in church convinced him that he did survive, just as nothing in church enticed him into hoping that he would. On the other hand, nothing in life persuaded him that he didn't, wouldn't, or couldn't. I'm an evolutionist, he loved to say to thoughtful cronies over a glass, having never heard that Darwinism had been questioned. And so he came home gaily, happily, with his bunch of Christmas presents for the wife and little ones, stroking himself upon their keen enjoyment and excitement. The night before he had taken the wife to see magic at a select London theatre where the intellectuals went, and had been extraordinarily stirred. He had gone questioningly, yet expected something out of the common. It's not musical, he warned her, nor farce, nor comedy, so to speak, and in answer to her question as to what the critics had said, he wriggled, sighed, and put his gaudy necktie straight four times in quick succession. For no man in the street, with any claim to self-respect, could be expected to understand what the critics had said, even if he understood the play. And John had answered truthfully, Oh, they just said things, but the theatre's always full, and that's the only test and just now as he crossed the crowded circus to catch his bus it chanced that his mind having glimpsed an advertisement was full of this particular play or rather of the effect it had produced upon him at the time for it had thrilled him unexpectedly with its marvelous speculative hint its big audacity its alert and spiritual beauty thought plunged to find something plunged after this bizarre suggestion of a bigger universe, after this quasi-jocular suggestion 
that man is not the only then dashed full tilt against the sentence that memory thrust beneath his nose science does not exhaust the universe and at the same time dashed full tilt against the destruction of another kind as well how it happened he never exactly knew he saw a monster glaring at him with eyes of blazing fire it was horrible it rushed upon him he dodged another monster met him round the corner both came at him simultaneously he dodged again a leap that might have cleared a hurdle easily but it was too late between the pair of them his heart literally in his gullet he was mercilessly caught bones crunched there was a soft sensation icy cold and hot as fire horns and voices roared battering rams he saw and a carapace of iron then dazzling light always face the traffic he remembered with a frantic yell and by some extraordinary luck escaped miraculously on the opposite pavement there was no doubt about it by the skin of his teeth he had dodged a rather ugly death first he felt for his presence all were safe and then instead of congratulating himself and taking breath he hurried homewards on foot which proved that his mind had lost control a bit thinking only how disappointed the wife and children would have been if if anything had happened another thing he realized oddly enough was that he no longer really loved his wife but had only great affection for her what made him think of that heaven only knows but he did think of it he was an honest man without pretense this came as a discovery somewhat he turned a moment and saw the crowd gathering about the entangled taxicabs the policemen's helmets gleaming in the lights of the shop windows then hurrying away his thoughts full of the joy his presence would give of the scampering children of his wife bless her silly heart eyeing the mysterious parcels and though he could never explain how he presently stood at the door of the jail-like building that contained his flat having walked the whole three miles his thoughts had been so busy and absorbed that he had hardly noticed the length of the weary trudge besides he reflected thinking of the narrow escape i had a nasty shock it was a dim near thing now i come to think of it he did a bit of shaking and bewildering yet at the same time he felt extraordinarily jolly and light-hearted he counted his christmas parcels hugged himself in anticipatory joy and let himself in swiftly with his latch-key i'm late he realized but when she sees the brown paper parcels she'll forget to say a word god bless the old faithful soul and he softly used the key a second time and entered his flat on tiptoe in his mind was the master impulse of that afternoon the pleasure these christmas presents would give his wife and children he heard a noise he hung up hat and coat in the pokey vestibule they never called it hall and moved softly towards the parlor door holding the packages behind him only of them he thought not of himself of his family that is not of the packages pushing the door cunningly ajar he peeped in slyly to his amazement the room was full of people he withdrew quickly wondering what it meant 
a party but without his knowing about it extraordinary keen disappointment came over him but as he stepped back the vestibule he saw was full of people too he was uncommonly surprised yet somehow not surprised at all people were congratulating him there was a perfect mob of them moreover he knew them all vaguely remembering them at least and they all knew him isn't it a game laughed someone patting him on the back they hadn't the least idea and the speaker it was old john palmer the bookkeeper at the office emphasized the they not in the least he answered with a smile saying something he didn't understand yet knew was right his face apparently showed the utter bewilderment he felt the shock of the collision had been greater than he realized evidently his mind was wandering possible only the odd thing was he had never felt so clear-headed in his life ten thousand things grew simple suddenly but how thickly these people pressed around him and how familiarly my parcels he said joyously pushing his way across the throng these are christmas presents i bought for them he nodded toward the room i've saved for weeks stopped cigars and billiards and several other good things to buy them good man said palmer with a happy laugh it's the heart that counts mudbury looked at him palmer had said an amazing truth only people would hardly understand and believe him would they a he asked feeling stuffed and stupid muddled somewhere between two meanings one of which was gorgeous and the other stupid beyond belief if you please mr mudbury step aside they are expecting you said a kindly pompous voice and turning sharply he met the gentle foolish eyes of sir james epiphany the director of the bank where he worked the effect of the voice was instantaneous from long habit they are he smiled from his heart and advanced as from the custom of many years oh how happy and gay he felt his affection for his wife was real romance indeed had gone but he needed her and she needed him and the children milly bill and jean he deeply loved them life was worth living indeed in the room was a crowd but an astonishing silence john mudbury looked round him he advanced toward his wife who sat in the corner armchair with milly on her knee a lot of people talked and moved about momentarily the crowd increased he stood in front of them in front of milly and his wife and he spoke holding out his packages it's christmas eve he whispered shyly and i've brought you something something for everybody look he held the packages before their eyes of course of course said a voice behind him but you may hold them out like that for a century they'll never see them of course they won't but i love to do the old sweet thing replied john mudbury then wondering with a gasp of stark amazement why he'd said it i think whispered milly staring round her well what do you think her mother asked sharply you're always thinking something queer i think the child continued dreamily that daddy's already here she paused then added a child's impossible conviction 
I'm sure he is. I feel him. There was an extraordinary laugh. Sir James Epiphany laughed. The others, the whole crowd of them, also turned their heads and smiled. But the mother, thrusting the child away from her, rose up suddenly with a violent start. Her face had turned to chalk. She stretched her arms out into the air before her. She gasped and shivered. There was an awful anguish in her eyes. Look, repeated John, these are the presents that I bought. But his voice was apparently soundless, and with a spasm of icy pain, he remembered that Palmer and Sir James, some years ago, had died. It's magic, he cried, but I love you, Jenny, I love you, and I have always been true to you, as true as steel. We need each other. Oh, can't you see? We go on together, you and I, forever and ever. Think, interrupted an exquisitely tender voice. Don't shout. They can't hear you now. And turning, John Mudbury met the eyes of Edvard Minturn, their president of the year before. Minturn had gone down with the Titanic. He dropped his parcels then. His heart gave an enormous leap of joy. He saw her face, the face of his wife, look through him. But the child gazed straight into his eyes. She saw him. The next thing he knew was that he heard something tinkling, far, far away. It sounded miles below him, inside him. He was sounding himself, all utterly bewildering, like a bell. It was a bell. Milly stooped down and picked the parcels up. Her face shone with happiness and laughter. But a man came in soon after, a man with a ridiculous, solemn face, a pencil and a notebook. He wore a dark blue helmet. Behind him came a string of other men. They carried something, something. He could not see exactly what it was. But when he pressed forward through the laughing throng to gaze upon it, he dimly made out two eyes, a nose, a chin, a deep red smear, and a pair of folded hands upon an overcoat. A woman's form fell down upon them then, and he heard soft sounds of children weeping strangely, and other sounds, sounds as of familiar voices, laughing, laughing gaily. They'll join us presently, it goes like a flash, and with a turn of great happiness in his heart, he saw that Sir James had said it, holding Palmer by the arm, as with some natural yet unexpected love of sympathetic friendship. Come on, said Palmer, smiling like a man who accepts a gift in universal fellowship. Let's help them. They'll never understand. Still, we can always try. The entire throng moved up with laughter and amusement. It was a moment of hearty, genuine life at last. Delight and joy and peace were everywhere. Then John Mudbury realized the truth, that he was dead. The End of Transition by Algernon Blackwood